Hello and welcome to the Brutal Iron Gym Podcast, where our goal is to cut through the BS and deliver the brutal truth about topics related to health and happiness. Today's podcast number 1,579. The topic is training and the title is Review of Workout for Glute Development. So, um, on the weekends, I sometimes, well actually I do it during the week too, <laughs> but uh, at our home office, uh, my wife and I have a Bowflex. Uh, it's um, an, like an elliptical, but it actually has more of a, a vertical pathway to the, the foot pedals rather than a horizontal. So it actually really gets the glutes, the lower glutes really well. So we have that for Meredith to do cardio, but also to develop her lower glutes and like the hamstring glute tie-in. And then I'll jump on there every once in a while. Thankfully, I still am within the uh, weight limit capacity, <laughs> but I'll jump on there and I'll do some cardio uh, every now and then as well. So when I do that, I like to watch workout videos because I'm weird and I've been doing this for 20 some years and I still like it, <laughs> but it's actually something I really enjoy. Uh, so uh, the other day I was watching a training video. There was an IFBB wellness competitor. And if you don't know what wellness is, there's different categories for aesthetic competitions. So you might have heard of like bikini, figure, um, they're like fitness, then there's women's physique. Wellness is a category where the idea is to have like a thicker muscle base to your lower body, but not as dominant in the upper body. So bikini, you kind of want to have a thin muscle base, top and bottom, and like kind of be balanced in a thin way, uh, top and bottom. And then women's figure is a little more muscular, but still balanced. However, you're more so going to be upper body dominant by having really good shoulders. Uh, so wellness is something that's kind of in between, is a little bit thicker in the glutes and thighs, but not so much muscular everywhere else. So this wellness competitor was working with a famous former bodybuilder who has now turned into like coaching athletes. And they were doing a glute focused workout, but they still wanted to get some legs, but the legs was like kind of the secondary focus. While I was watching the video, I was just surprised I, I I did not think it was a very good workout uh, but the coach has you know a big name from when he was competing and these were tactics that he used to get himself bigger but as I've mentioned before and I think is good for everyone to know what works for one person doesn't work for everybody <laughs> so unfortunately this coach is using his strategies on just anyone he works with and it's going to work with some but it's absolutely not going to work with some and unfortunately this was an example where it just wasn't going to work so what I wanted to do was to go through and explain a little bit about what the workout was and then things I thought were good or bad and this can be stuff that you can then apply to your workouts so um, the workout started with what's called a giant set a giant set is when you do four or more exercises going like back to back to back to back. So a superset is commonly referred to when you do two exercises back to back. A circuit is typically three exercises or more. And then a giant set is four exercises. I, I commonly use just the term circuit, regardless of how many exercises I use with clients, because it's just easier to keep like a singular term for movements that are back to back rather than having them to have to learn three different terms. So in my clients, I just call everything a circuit. But the idea is these movements were to be performed back to back to back with very minimal rest. So the first giant set they did, it's going to sound ridiculous, but there's five exercises to it. <laughs> so they did machine abduction, which is um, like we know the adductor abductor machines where you either push your knees in or you push your knees out. So this was the push out 
machine. Now, if you get your positioning correct, this can really hit the lower outer portion of the glutes very well. So they were starting with that. Now they were starting with what's called descending isometric holds. So at the full contraction of each rep, the athlete held that full contraction for three count. And they did that for a couple reps. Then they held the contraction for a two count for a couple reps. Then they held the contraction for a one count for a couple reps. So that's descending isometric holds. Then they went into machine seated hamstring curls and they did isometric holds again. <laughs> then they went to a barbell and this was like the typical, um, the ones you'd see like a pre-weighted barbell where they're much shorter. They're only about like four feet wide and they already have weights like on the ends that you can't adjust. And they typically are labeled, you know, like 10 pound, 20 pound, 30 pound, 40 pound. So they were using one of those and they did a hang hold uh, wide stance, like a sumo stance, stiff legged deadlift. And then they went the same stance, but they turned it into a squat. So bending at the knees rather than hinging at the hips. And then the athlete moved into lying hamstring curls, machine lying hamstring curls, but again with isometric holds. That was all one circuit. Now, I'm not against giant sets. I do giant sets for various reasons with different clients. But what I didn't like about this, and there's a lot more to go, <laughs> but for this giant set, one of the things I didn't like was there was too many isometric holds. And what that, why that I don't like that is it's going to really limit the weight capacity that the athlete can use. It'll produce a ton of muscle soreness, but it won't create a, a lot of significant muscle damage. So it's going to be annoying and painful in the moment. You'll be sore a little bit, but you're not going to get a lot of adaptation in regards to like growth because this athlete was wanting, you know, glute growth. So if you're looking, considering ways in which the muscles can grow, we've uh, talked about this in a, a past podcast. So I want to have you check that out if you want to listen more about it. But the past podcast was number 1,219, so 1219. It was a Q&A podcast, and it was titled, Can You Change the Shape of Muscles? The answer is yes. Uh, but you can listen to that podcast to learn the different ways in which you can create muscle stress, which then can be, the body will uh, like respond to by creating new tissue. Now that's only if your nutrition is supportive and your like recovery and the amount of volume you do is all supportive. So there's a lot of components that have to be correct for that to happen. But there are different ways you can create stress to muscle tissue and the different methods will have different uh, pros and cons and different significance towards muscle development. By doing so many isometrics, the weight load on all these movements are so light that you're getting almost no sheer force damage on the muscles. You're just getting metabolic damage, like basically the muscles having trouble, um, you know, passing ions to get muscle contractions. There's a lot of fluid uh, stress. So there's, you know, there's tissue damage, but it's not in the way in which the body responds by typically producing a, a significantly bigger muscle. It'll create muscle shape. It creates muscular endurance, you know, in regards to performance, but it doesn't really create a lot of growth. So that wasn't a good idea. Now that can be very beneficial if you have a very strong athlete. So if you're working with somebody who's super strong, then isometrics and especially as many as they did are actually really good because you can get muscle damage because there's still enough weight load on the movements, but you reduce joint tissue damage which is great. So if you have a strong athlete, which is what this coach was when he was younger, then giant sets and the use of isometrics are fantastic for somebody strong. If they're not very strong, then it's actually a, a, a very negative like uh, 
tactic because it's not going to produce a significant amount of muscle damage. Then what I also didn't like about it was there was more hamstring and adductor work than there was freaking glutes, you know? So you look at machine abduction, that is glutes. Great choice. Then machine seated hamstring curls, purely hamstrings. Then if you go to the barbell hang hold sumo stance stiff leg deadlifts, that's actually more adductors than it would be glutes because as your torso is parallel with the floor at the bottom of the movement, your adductors and hamstrings have the greatest amount of stress on them. So they're going to be the ones contracting out of the worst, like the most challenging position. Your glutes will come more into play as the torso begins to more upright itself. But as you can, as you get closer to being upright, the weight load becomes lesser and lesser and lesser. So the most difficult part of the motion is actually when the adductors and the hamstrings were mostly loaded, not the glutes. Then they went into barbell hang hold sumo squat, same exact problem. Again, you're going to have mostly adductors and hamstrings loaded, not the glutes. Now, what's interesting is the sumo stand stiff leg deadlifts is more hamstrings than adductors, but the sumo squat uh, position is more adductors and hamstrings. So they were alternating back and forth, but between two muscles they shouldn't have been trying to develop. And then they just went and did machine line hamstring curls at the end. So good God, there was way more hamstring and adductor work than there actually would have been glute stimulus. So it was not a good circuit if your goal was actually glute development, which the title suggests that it was, and the athlete said that's what they were there for. So really poor exercise selection in regards to trying to actually get the glutes. And then the other component is these workouts are, are meant to be, you know, maybe they're not expressed this way, but they're meant to teach people how to exercise. And this person just used three machines in a commercial gym. No one is going to get to do that. <laughs> uh, you're not going to get to do that even in a private, small kind of public gym like mine. I, we only have 100 members. I cap the membership at 100. So it's always like good amount of like um, balance of people in the gym is not too crowded and people don't sit around in our gym they stay busy but to use three machines when there's other people in the gym is kind of being you know a jerk you're not gonna be able to do that now if you go to a regular commercial gym like a big you know 10,000 plus member commercial gym there's no way in hell you, you're lucky if you can get two machines back to back there's no way in the world you're gonna get three so it's not applicable to most people therefore I don't really like the fact that they did this because it's not anything that anybody else can really use and then the last one, and I'll move on, is the significance of progression. How can you progress these movements? You know, if everything is already so light because you're dealing with so many isometric holds, you, you don't have much room to be able to add weight load. And you and maybe you can squeak out an extra rep here or there. If you try to add weight to the barbell movements, you're just going to be stressing the wrong muscles, like the adductors and hamstrings. You're going to start getting your core, like your lower back will start to be stressed. So the movements that actually have the best chance to be progressed in weight load are the worst for the actual targeted muscle. So really poor structure there. Very, very poor structure. Now, the second thing they did was another giant set. They did a machine adductors again, so the ones where you push out. Then they went into barbell walking lunges with a long stride. The idea of the long stride, I'm assuming, was to get the glutes and hamstrings because they come back and do a short stride here in a second. But if the person maintained an upright torso. You have to have some hinging at the hips in order to get the glutes better involved. So the long stride was mostly just going to be, again, adductors. Ugh, for the love of God. So they did long stride walking lunges. Then when they got to the end of the long stride walking lunges, they stayed with the barbell on their upper back, and they then did alternating leg curtsy lunges. 
Curtsy lunges, if you don't know what that is, you can pause the podcast, search that on on YouTube. But curtsy lunges, you kind of, instead of stepping straight back, like doing a reverse lunge where you step straight back, the leg that goes back actually angles further behind the forward leg. So you're almost crisscrossing your feet, but not quite. And the idea of that is it gets a better stretch within the uh, glute muscles. So the idea of a curtsy lunge is you get a little better glute involvement by having a greater stretch load in the bottom position. And that's true. You know, that's pretty good. Then they did barbell walking lunges, but with a short stride, which would focus on the quadriceps. Then machine hamstring, uh, machine seated hamstring curls, then machine lying hamstring curls. So again, way too many other muscles than what the person actually wanted are involved here. And again, the only ones, uh, they did isometrics on all the machines again, so there's no way to really add a ton of weight load on that. You're going to maybe squeak out an extra rep here or there in progressions. And then the ones you can add weight on, again, they over-involve the core, and it's going to then you run into a lot of lower back issues. So this is already an insane amount of volume. You're talking about five, like 10 exercises, actually, no, 11 exercises already. And that isn't even like the start of it. <laughs> they go on and do machine glute kickbacks, barbell hip thrusters, machine hip thrusters, standing leg press with wide stance, toes flared out, which again is just adductor dominant, pendulum squat, a machine hack squat, a vertical leg press, a belt squat with a wide, to- wide stance, toes out, again adductors, what's called Superman squats on a, uh, a V squat machine. There's different names for those machines. And then they finish with leg press. For the love of God, that was a horrible example, horrible, horrible example of how people should train. Horrible. Now, many reasons why. (laughs) Um, Like all the ones I mentioned so far. But then if you hear, after doing 11 exercises, they go on and do 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 more. There is no need for people to do 21 exercises in a single workout when you're talking about multiple sets. I mean, this is just bonkers. You're going to be in the gym for two and a half, three hours. It's ridiculously unnecessary. The volume is insane. And part of the reason why the volume would have to be this high is because of all those damn tactics like the isometrics and the use of the giant sets. There's not enough like actual tissue damage you're getting a ton of volume but you're not getting significant effort like significant results from that effort so you do 11 exercises and you still need 10 more in order to get the actual benefit that's ridiculous absolutely ridiculous so i won't even go through and tell you like the number of sets and reps and stuff for the other movements because it's not necessary so the components of this workout that were good like what can you take from this workout that if you've listened this far, that you can actually use, rather than me just being grumpy and saying everything's horrible. (laughs) Um, One of the things that I loved is the use of pre-exhaust. So I've talked about pre-exhaust as a really cool tactic for how to get muscle tissue damage but not to stress the joints. So even really old podcast, podcast 254, it was way back in 2019, you know, so back then, (laughs) but podcast 254 was a training podcast titled Pre-Exhaust for Big Gains Without Big Pains. You can listen to that one. You can find all of our podcasts on our website, www.brewlandergym.com. And then a more recent one, was podcast 1160. It was a training podcast titled Using Pre-Exhaust to Change Exercise Focus. Now that's a really freaking good podcast because that's what this trainer got wrong. So if you're using pre-exhaust, you want to pre-exhaust what you want to grow. 
not what you don't. So the trainer should have pre-exhausted the glutes before doing all the adductor and hamstring and other things. So they actually did pre-exhaust in the complete opposite way, which was horrible, and it's going to create the improper shape development for this athlete. So they should have done the machine glute kickbacks because they're isolative. Like that would like typically pre-exhaust, if you want to learn more about it, is you want to do something that's isolative to the muscle you want to target, and then you go do a more compound-based movement, like something where other muscles are involved, but that targeted muscle is already so fatigued that it's the limiter in the bigger movement. So they should have done the machine glute kickbacks and then one of the hip thrusters, you know, whether barbell or machine hip thruster, but they should have done one of the hip thrusters. And then maybe you could go through like some of the giant set movements where everything's a little blended. But to be honest, you don't even need the freaking giant sets. They were like kind of a waste because they were so light and just volume based. So it was more so cardio <laughs> than it would have been actually anything for muscles. So the rest of the workout, they did a, a glute isolation, a glute isolation, a glute isolation. Then they did a compound, a compound, a compound, a compound, a compound, a compound, a compound. Ridiculous. Too many. <laughs> but it was good that there were glute isolations before the compounds. So pre-exhaust is a great technique, absolutely great technique for targeting growth in a specific muscle when you want to balance it better to other muscles. So if this athlete wanted to grow their glutes to better compare to their thighs, which they said they did, then using pre-exhaust was a great idea, but it was misused. It was used the complete opposite way that it should have been. And then adding intensifiers, which I, I refer to as intensity techniques. We've done a lot of podcasts on intensity techniques, but adding intensifiers such as the isometrics, they're good, but not that many freaking times and that much like sets like you want the intensifiers to be something that pushes muscle damage not that you're doing it so dang much that you can't lift anything significant of weight and you're more so just annoying the muscles than actually damaging them and that was the problem here is adding intensifiers intensity techniques is great but you have to be careful with when you use them and make sure that you don't do them too often because then you're losing the benefit because it's going to become weight limiting, which then limits the muscle, muscle tissue damage that you're wanting to create to get growth. So we have a couple of podcasts. We have a lot of podcasts actually about intensity techniques. I didn't realize I had that many until I just searched for it. Uh, but um, oof, what's some good ones we can look at? So we have a couple that we can work into. So we have podcast 799. It's a Q&A podcast titled Managing Workout Intensity Within a Complete Program. So that would be really cool to know, okay, if I want to blend in intensity techniques, how can I put them into my program where I do enough but I don't overdo it? So that would be a really good podcast to listen to for that. Then, um, in general, the other things I thought were helpful to know is the volume, the volume in this workout was absolutely unnecessary. You do not need to do this much. So I have helped people earn pro cards. I know what it takes to earn a pro card. You do not need to do that much to earn a pro card. So if you look at somebody who's an IFBB pro and this is the way they're training and you're like, oh my God, I have to do this, you know, and I have to spend this much time in the gym, three hours a day, I have to do 21 exercises. No, 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 absolutely not. This was a horrible example of what somebody should actually do to become a pro. We have podcast 1,437 which is a training podcast titled Programming for Greatest Muscle Growth. And that'll tell you how many working sets you should do per week per muscle. 
and it's not 21 exercises. So actually, you should do between 10 to 20 working sets for the targeted muscles per week that you want to grow. So if you really want a muscle to grow, 20 working sets is plenty. This person did 21 exercises in a single workout. That's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. So you don't need to do as much as what you would see in this video. And that's one of the things, again, where I really don't like that when people produce content that they don't recognize sometimes that people are going to see this content and they're going to think that they have to do this. So it would be nice if they were to explain that they maybe this is, maybe they're only visiting rarely, you know, so they're going through a lot of movements to work on technique, which they weren't, so I'm just making up stuff. But they should have said that this wasn't the right amount. <laughs> now the problem is, is they, they don't know that. They think this is the right amount and it's unnecessary. So this woman's going to have to take a lot of, um, eat an enormous amount of food, um, more so than what probably most people would be comfortable with to try to, so she has to out eat her activity in order to get growth. Imagine how much you now have to eat from doing 21 exercises in a single workout. She's going to have to eat ridiculous amounts. She's going to have to eat one time, 1.25 times her body weight in protein, at least minimal. And she's probably going to have to eat like 17, 18 times her body weight for total calories. That's just, it's insane to have to do that. And then doing that with foods that keep your sugars, say under 60 grams a day. You know, you're going to talk about a crap ton of healthy food, and it's just going to be almost impossible to eat that much and have to eat that on a regular basis. And then you have the digestive issues that, that probably come from that. You know, so you have to take a lot of digestive aids. So there's a lot of complications that come from, like, nutritionally from training with such a, a structure. So I thought it would be fun, uh, hopefully this was interesting, to hear that, like, what some people do, what's good and bad about it, but also to hear that people who are professionals in this stuff, they still don't know what they're doing sometimes. <laughs> um, you know, like I've, I've learned lessons along the way. I remember when, you know, fasting cardio was all the craze. And so I started doing it and I had some clients, I, I told them, I said, hey, this is kind of new. Do you want to try it or not? And some of them said yes. So we all tried it. But then all of a sudden, you know, you hear people say, well, you know, fasting cardio is great, but you should take in at least 10, you know, grams of, uh, you know, whey isolate before you do the fasting cardio. So that way it preserves muscle tissue. Then you start to see studies where people say, well, you should actually consume X amount of carbon carbohydrates with that protein protein because it better balances you know uh, like utilization cortisol all this other stuff and then all of a sudden you started finding out more research that said you know fasting cardio is not any better than, than cardio where you eat a, a controlled amount of nutrition as you would with any other kind of dieting tactic so you started with something thinking it was awesome, and then you find out, yeah, it's, yeah, it's nothing, <laughs> you know. But I, I, I tried it because it was the new thing, and I want to be up to date with stuff. So I try and experiment with things. So everybody, you know, has goods and bads times. Sometimes they'll get things right. Sometimes they'll get them wrong. But one universal theme that I want you to take away is if you're working with somebody and their programming is exactly how they did it. Like, they're like, well, this is what I did to become a pro, you know, or this is what I did to get where I am, so you should do this. Horrible. That's a red flag, big red flag, because everybody's different. One of my favorite ways of explaining that is if, if somebody asks me for directions of how to get to New York City, and I just start giving them directions from where I live, what if they don't live where I live? You know, what if I'm in a virtual consultation with a client and they're out in California and I'm in South Carolina and I start giving instructions on how to get to New York City from South Carolina? It's useless for somebody from California, right? So you don't want the directions for how they got where you want to be. You want your directions. You want your way to get there, not their way to get there.
right? So be careful when there's programming and it and it's somebody telling you, well, this is what I did. This is therefore what you should do. No. Every, if you work with people and you're paying for like a personalized type of um, programming, like where you get one-on-one type attention, you should have a personalized programming. If you're paying for like a programming structure that's more like a bulk program, like you know that it's written the same for everybody, there should be methods for you to personalize and educate yourself on how to make modifications to that. So I, I didn't think about it until right now because otherwise it's going to sound like I made a commercial. But we have our live monthly programming service where I actually do write programs that I send to anyone who signs up for the service. The program's the same for everybody. However, we have virtual Q&A that people can talk with me face-to-face virtually uh, every week. And we have a written document where they can write in questions 24-7 and I answer the questions every week. So I would answer them. Like I just had a question, like client asked me, you know, hey, I work double shifts on Mondays and Tuesdays and... Uh, I work a regular eight-hour shift on Wednesday. How can I fit my training in, you know, for the remaining days of the week? I, I went in and answered it. So, if, you know, you should get some ability to personalize things because you're going to need to find your way to do it, not their way to do it. Okay? Okay. Well, hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully that was interesting. Uh, if you are interested in our My Monthly Programming, you can check that out on our website at www.brutalironjim.com. You can learn all about it. It's only $50 a month. You get tons of education, as much education as you want to ask the questions. <laughs> so really cool stuff. A lot of good help there. But if you want to check that out, it's on our website. Okay, so hopefully this was helpful. If you do have any questions about today's podcast or any time, any questions, you can always email me at brutalironjim at gmail.com and I'll make a podcast for you for free. I'll answer the questions for free. And then if you like our podcast, please share it. And when you share it, let people know that we do answer questions for free. So that way they know that that's part of this service as well. And then thank you to those who donate. You can do so on our website at www.brutalironjim.com. But thank you to those who donate to support the podcast because that's how we can afford to answer people's questions for free and just help the world be more educated and help people live their healthiest and happiest lives. So thank you to those who do donate. It does significantly help. Thank you very, very much. And then if you like the information we share in our podcast, you can find more from us on our social media channels. I post on Instagram every day. I'm posting more and more on YouTube, so you can find us and follow us under the name Brutal Iron Gym on those channels. And then, as always, I hope this was helpful, and thank you for listening.